couple weeks ago, I started speaking on church life, church dynamics, the relationship between the believer and the Sabbath, the believer and the pastor, the pastor and the sheep, sheep with one another. I will continue on these themes as I speak about this tonight out of the book of Ephesians. As we saw a couple weeks ago, as I was in Times Square and I was preparing on this lesson, can we have that picture up there, Jackie? To him be the glory. Here we go. I saw this gentleman in Times Square, and uh, no matter what he's got, some of his theology is very good, I want you to know that. Uh, if you turn to the living Jesus, you shall be saved. He, he's exactly right on that. But if you read the fine print, today's churches are a scam, and unfortunately, he's part right with that too. But the other side, I didn't get a, a snapshot of the other side. Uh, it says you don't need the local church, and you don't need a pastor. So uh, that's, that's our buddy over there. Of course, I went over to him and I said, uh, and he whispered to me, he looked at me with a genuine sincerity. He says, Jesus loves you, man. He really, he meant it. He, he really meant it. And I said, well, you know, I'm born again. I'm a, I'm a local pastor. And then he looked at me and my wife and he says, then why are you just being so selfish and living for yourself all the time? I was like, that's very nice to know. I haven't had a, a weekend off, I think in 500, I think of the math. Over 10 years, it's over 500 weekends, I've had about 18 off. So I, I, I didn't get a chance to tell him that. Uh, a couple of vacations here and there on the weekends. Uh, last week was one of them. Me and my wife had a great time being selfish down in Florida. <laughs> so, uh, but we were speaking about this because no born-again believer would agree with this. No born-again believer would agree with that. But I had to bring the sentiments up. That though many believers would never, or all true believers would never agree with such a statement. But yet we can live in those sentiments that the local church really isn't that important. Or having pastoral insight or pastoral authority over your life also isn't very important. And we can see this lax, indifferent attitude towards the local church and the local body being personally active in the church, not going to church. The last thing God would ever want or a pastor would ever want is for us just to come to church or go to church. We are a living spiritual entity. We are the church and Christ is the head. We are a body. We are many members. We serve a purpose to the glory of God. And that's what we're going to read about. I started the last uh, couple weeks ago in Ephesians and I want to read uh, chapter 3, 14 to uh, 21. Make some comments on it. 14 to 21. Actually, 13 to 21. Jackie, can you get verse 13 up there? If possible, if it's not too late. 13 to 21. Okay. Paul says this to the Ephesians. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which he says, which is to your glory. Paul's in jail right now. While he's in jail, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, the church, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, whether they're Jewish saints, whether they're uh, Roman saints, makes no difference. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul goes on to say now, Now to him is able to do far more abundantly than we ever asked or thought, according to the power that has worked within us. Listen to verse 21. This is what Paul's all about. To him, that's the Father, be glory, that's all honor, recognition to God. In the church, our friend doesn't believe in the church, does he, right? Up in Times Square, he didn't believe in him. In the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you're not sure about the book of Ephesians, it is about the church. It is about God summing up the whole broken down cosmos into a, a, a reunification of heaven and earth and all people. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. That Christ, God is summing up all things. He's bringing unity out of diversity within the world. Specifically between the Jew and the Gentile. Paul is making his case, he's making his case, he's making his case. So much that he made his case throughout the whole Roman Empire that he turned the world upside down. The Jewish synagogue didn't want Paul, they attacked him. The political uh, powers to be attacked Paul because wherever he went, people turned from paganism to the living God. Economics were changed because of Paul. And what happened here, he ended up where? He ended up in jail as a political prisoner. He did it for the gospel. And it was towards their glory. He's specifically speaking about in verse 13. To the the Gentile Christians that were being still persecuted to a certain extent. By Jewish Christians. There was this animosity within the church. Paul is standing between these two groups. He's trying to bring harmony to these two groups. He's reminding them that Jesus Christ is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility, which was the law of Moses, which quarantined the Jewish nation from all the pagan nations around them. Christ came and abolished that. And now he's making both from both groups of people one new creation. See, our human heart is slow to learn. But this is what it means by to God be the glory in the church. You know, many Christians don't understand that. That God is glorified. God is honored. God is esteemed. God is acknowledged as the supreme being when you come to a church and you see groups of people from different diverse backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, whether rich or poor, whether black or white, Latino or Chinese, people all coming together in harmony. See, the world can't do that. Satan can only divide. He cannot unite. And no matter what the world can do, they cannot do what God has done in Christ. There are no rules, no regulations. Why we love one another, I'm not forced to love you. The Holy Spirit prompts me to love you, and you love me. Because of what Christ has done. That is the unifying effect of the atoning work of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We will take this into all of eternity with us. 
Paul, for three chapters, has spelled out this high theology of the church, bringing it all the way back before there was one molecule ever created. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now Paul's moving into application. In chapter 4 and 5 and 6, we'll get into this later on as the month goes on, probably into January. But now Paul prior to his application of this great truth, finds himself in jail as a political prisoner. But he doesn't care because you can't can't arrest the gospel. You can arrest the preacher and the apostle and the pastor and the evangelist, but you can't stop the message. Paul could care less. He says, this is to your glory. Don't you understand? I'm here because I did what I was supposed to do. I'm called to be an apostle to the Gentiles to show you that you have equality with the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. No one's better than you. You're not inferior and they're not superior. This is to your glory. I'm here because I fought the good fight for you. Don't you know, when you have deep convictions for Christ, sooner or later it gets into trouble. Don't you know that? Don't you understand when you carry deep convictions for Jesus? So much so that Paul says, all those who press into godliness, just to live a nice godly lifestyle, you'll be persecuted. So here's Paul. He fought the good fight. He went out into the Gentile mission field. He preached the gospel all his life. He wore the scars of Jesus on him. He ends up in jail. And he can say this. It's for your glory. All my life I did it for you Gentiles. Now, you're part of the kingdom of God. Reflect on the things I've just written to you in chapter 1, 2, and 3. You'll understand the great insight to the mystery of Christ that God has given me. There's no partiality. We're all co-heirs. We were all dead in sin. We were all chosen before the foundations of the world. Now let's come together to God's glory and show even the powers to be in the cosmic reign. Understand something. That there's unity in diversity. That we come here to genuinely love and care for one another because what Christ has done. Expressing what as Paul says, expressing faith through love. But now he's showing something else about him. He's showing him what he's a real prisoner of. For their hearts. Now he's on his knees. Theory's over. Theology is over. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is the big picture of the church. What Christ has done. What God has planned. What the Holy Spirit is bringing through fruition now through the church. It's all there. God's not glorified in the sunset. He's not glorified in nations. What he's glorified in is sinful men coming from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. All diverse coming together as one new creation. That's where God's glorified. Heart to heart. Caring for one another. Being compassionate to each other. Carrying each other's burdens. And I share all the time. People see they would come together. We go to church. You know, they're over there. They're singing their little songs. And they got their Bibles. And they're going to their prayer groups. And they're going to their Bible studies. And they're handing out their tracts on 86th Street. To the world, we look foolish. The preaching of the cross is foolish. But please understand something. You see this little quiet room? 
This is God's glory. He's glorified in people coming together and caring for each other, worshiping God together, having a common denominator that once we were dead in sins and trespasses, but God made us alive together in Christ. This is God's glory. God's building only one thing. He's not building another constitution. He's not building an America. He's not. He's building one thing. The new Israel. Jew and Gentile, black and white, male and female, rich and poor, coming together, worshiping Christ, caring for each other, carrying each other's burdens, getting to know one another, uh, loving one another, being compassionate. That's where God's glory is. And as a pastor... I share the sentiments of Paul. I I want my mind filled with chapter 1, filled with chapter 2, filled with chapter 3, book after book. I read it. I love it. I just love them, especially Reformed theology. I love it. I never feel so close to God where my mind is illuminated. But now it's got to go into practice. Chapter 4, he's going to get it. But before chapter 3... Ends and before chapter 4 begins, the pastor's on his knees praying. I don't want you to miss it. See, our friend on Times Square, he, need, he doesn't need a pastor and he doesn't need a church. See, part of his theology is right. All you need is Jesus to be saved. You don't need a pastor and a church to be saved. You need Jesus. But Jesus and the church are the same thing. You can't separate the head from the body, can you? You can't separate Christ from the church. The church is. Glo- God's glorified in the church. Whether it is 20 or it's 2,000. God's glory, he's glorified. God's not like, you know something? It's a small church, there's not too much going. You know, I'm not too glorified in that. No, no, please understand something. God can save with many or few, Jonathan told to David. It makes no difference. God's glorified when two people get together. No, 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 no. When one sinner comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice because God is glorified. There's reconciliation between a man sinful but created in God's image and Heavenly Father. God is glorified in our meeting and our caring for each other. But that sentiment of what that man was saying in Times Square and the very low view that many Christians have of church and church life. It brings me to my knees. It brings John to my knees. We, we, we pray over this. We're, we're concerned about this. America, for some reason, has, uh, has, has, has created this sort of indifferent church where, yeah, if I go, I go. If I don't, I don't. If I need it. Understand something. We are called to minister, as we're going to find in chapter 4, to one another. It's not a one-man job. We all need one another. I need you. I thank God for the gift and talents he's given me. I thank God for the moment me and my wife were saved on that day when I walked out of church and someone handed me a Bible and I knew three things. Jesus Christ is God. My sins are forgiven. And the Bible is real. I've been part of the church for almost 29 years. Ever. I don't know what without being part of the church is. Never turn back. A week later, we were active and helping out in the youth from day one. And that kept me sane. The thought of getting saved and living in the world is, is just outside biblical insight, revelation, knowledge. It's, it's foolish. 
So what Paul is saying here now, he spelled out the gospel in chapter 1, 2, and 3. He's going to go into chapter 4, but he pauses. And this is what people do when they separate themselves from the local church. They separate themselves from pastoral authority. They're separating themselves from, from the pastoral heart, the elder's heart, the leader's heart, who spend time on their knees, not just filling people's minds with an understanding of God's will, but to experience it in their heart. Paul prays out here in this prayer. Let's go to it. For this reason, the reason he's speaking about here that he's on his knees praying is not because he's in jail. For the reason, going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 3, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of Christ. And then he itemizes it. And he shows all these benefits of what Christ has done for us. All these benefits to be in Christ. And now it it brings him to his knees. This this weight of of God's love and theology, it it, it breaks him. He's on his knees and and he's praying out because I can tell him, Paul's saying, I, I can tell you the truth. I can write it and you can study it. But at the end of the day, I need God to do a deeper work in your heart. The reason I am who I am is because people prayed for me and my wife. Pastors prayed for us. They watched over us. They were concerned for us. We did no big movements in our life without a pastor's understanding, without his ear, without his wisdom, without their understanding. I wouldn't think about making a big move in my wife, me and my wife making a big move in life without having pastoral guidance and their prayer and their mind that's saturated with scripture and walking with the Lord through 30 and 40 years of going through all the ups and downs that domestic life, social life, financial life, physical life, all life can throw at you without having that insight and that deep love for us. The thought about it is, is absurd. When my wife found out she had cancer 20 years ago, you know, of course we were shook up and we didn't tell our pastor right away. And when he found out, he was devastated that we didn't go to him first. He cried because he loved us. You know, but we didn't know. We didn't, you know why we didn't? We didn't want to burden him. That's what we, we didn't want to burden He's got so much going on. But we were young Christians at the time. We were only in the Lord two or three years at the time. And so we realized that maybe four years at the time, we realized just how much this man loved us. I didn't know the power that he had, his genuine affection for us. So I used that. But ever since then, we wouldn't even think about not bringing something to God's people. And we got this man, we got Paul praying fervently with all his heart because he knows what Christ has done, chapter 1, 2, and 3. He knows verse 21 and 20 that God can do exceedingly more than we ever thought or even imagined. That's not a personal request for more things. What Paul is talking about, that God just didn't die for unity. He gives unity out of diversity. You are here, Jew and Gentile. You're part of the church, black and white. You're part of the church, rich and poor. You're part of the church, man and woman. You're part of the church, young and old. You're part of the church because God made sure you came here. We're going to find that in chapter 4. Now we are to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
When I came to Christ, I wasn't looking for a church and I wasn't looking for a savior. Someone invited me. And I went, but I remember that first day how deeply my heart was touched. And then after maybe four, five, six weeks, that day I remember I was born again. And I remember, and it wasn't just a love for God, I had a love for God's people. It's like I knew I was home. I knew, I knew, I knew there was something so much different I never experienced before. This, this genuine concern for people I never met. How can it be? How can you generally care for people that you've never met before? How can I go to different churches? And I've been blessed over, di- over the years to go to different churches and to minister in different churches or just to visit different churches. And it's like as soon as you walk in, it's just like, this is, I'm home. I don't have to relearn. God puts that in us. And that's what Paul here, he's acting like a pastor now. He's on his hands and knees and he's praying that this church comprised of Jews and Gentiles would stop the bickering. That they were all chosen by God before the foundations of the world. They were all dead in sin and transgression. They all needed a savior. And now they're here. And they're in the body. They're in the church. But there's still quarreling. There's still tension going on. If you read the New Testament, you'll see a lot of tension going on in all the epistles. There's tension between personalities. And Paul's on his knees. He's prostate. And he's praying. Because he knows that unless the Spirit of God does something in the inner man, it'll only be head knowledge. And head knowledge, as Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 8, it puffs up. But love edifies one another. It encourages one another. He knows that. But our friend in Times Square doesn't need a church and he doesn't need a pastor. Because he's got no love. His gospel was, Jesus loves you, man. But you don't need the pastor. And you don't need the church. And you don't need one. I guess all I need was him. But yet many Christians live in a way that share the same sentiments. How does someone go to church and not come for six weeks and go to seven weeks? Or three weeks? Or if I go two weeks, I take a week off. Or if the Jets are in town, uh, you know, it, it, it changes. And I, 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 I can't wrap my mind around it. God's glorified when we come together. And we are not to uh, resist coming together is, is the habit of some, but we are meet to encourage each other love and good works. Well, Paul says this, that according to your riches in verse 16, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner man. According to his riches... You see, Paul is not making a declaration. He's not, he's not declaring God's love over someone's life. He's not laying hands on someone saying, and be filled with the love of God. Paul knows you can't do that. But Paul knows something better. According to the riches of his glory. That's his kindness. According to his kindness. He's beseeching God. According to his, you want to touch the heart of God? Beseech him according to his kindness towards us. 
Remember how Jesus says, Jesus said the same thing. He said, listen, if his son wants a fish, you're not going to give him a scorpion. And you're evil and you know how to give good gifts. How much will your, more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul's praying here. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you, grant it, give it as a gift of his grace and his mercy and his kindness. If you want to touch from God, if you want to know the love of God, just ask. That you be strengthened in your inner being. That's your soul. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That the faith can attach to chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And you can take a step back and see the marvelous work in the history of redemption. And the wisdom of God and the power of God that's that's displayed in this redemption. And my faith attaches to it. And I'm filled with the love of God. God. Knowledge supports love. And every Bible study, every prayer group, every sermon, every personal Bible study, what it does is it fills my mind and my heart with a greater understanding of Christ and God, the Father, God, the Spirit, and the plan of redemption. And guess what? My life gets littler and littler and littler, and my desires get littler, and I realize that I'm part of something much greater than my own little kingdom. I belong to God's kingdom and his church and God's glory. Not my personal wishes and passions are met. But that God's doing something wonderful. That one day throughout all of eternity we will see it. See God, what's your address? God knows our address. God knows for 17 years me and my wife served God there. And now he knows for the last 11 years we've worshipped and we serve Christ here. We've had two addresses as Christians. He knows every little thing we have ever done. He knows every little thing we've all have done for his name. Not letting the left hand know what the right hand is ever doing. This is how God is glorified. This is what drove Paul. The glory of God. Not his own ministry. He He's in jail. He's in jail on his knees praying. Praise God. It's all about Christ. When it's all about Christ, you don't care where you end up in life. You don't merit. it. You don't care how painful it is. You know, the body's beaten up. This is beaten up. We're getting older, but the inner man is strengthened. But you don't care because you're, you're raptured into the plan of redemption. You got this little part being played that somehow, some way, God has prepared for us good works before the foundations of the world. Whatever good I've done in 28 years, whatever good you've done since you've been saved, God's planned it. He's planned it. And every failure, Christ is covered. And he's praying, he wants his church to know it. He wants his church to experience in their inner man the surpassing greatness of the love of Christ that you can't put a dimension on it. How big is it, Brian? The height, the depth, the width, the breadth is is behind comprehension. It's it's unknowable, but somehow, somewhere, the Christian can know it and experience it. Is this some sort of, you know, Solo, I got the love of Jesus in my heart, and you know, it's just, you know, how you know you got the love of God? Do you know how you know it? When you love the body of Christ. 
the only way. How am I going to love you if I can't love God who I don't see? How can I love you who I do see? John says that. That's John's reason. If you can't meet the needs of other Christians and love those who you can see, how can you tell me you love God who you don't see? You see, this love that Paul's talking about is not a solo, individual, personal experience with the love of God. It's a unifying love out of diversity where we care for one another. I led a man to faith many years ago. I was training them in the gym. By all purposes, it looked like he was a genuine faith. Maybe he is, I don't know. He was water baptized. His girlfriend came to faith in Christ. I married him. They had a child. I prayed with them. They went through a lot of tough times. But he stopped coming to church, and so I asked him, and I shared this from the Pope before. I said, I haven't seen you. You know, what's going on? I reached out. I went over to the house. He goes, well, Brian, i got to be honest with you. I said, oh, he goes, I get nothing when I go to church. I wasn't prepared for that. But you see, God quickened you. And I said, that's because you bring nothing. You want someone to put the light on. You want someone to hand you a cup of coffee. You want someone to sing a song for you. You want to come in, sit down, and do nothing. You don't know anybody in the church. You haven't met a need. You haven't been concerned for anybody. You're a man of means. And you got plenty and you do nothing. I told him. I said, you bring nothing. That's why you're not experiencing anything. It's not like the music is supposed to go off and I'm raptured on some cloud and I'm in my love cloud. And, you know, oh, you know. And, but you come down to earth and you're, you're, you're no good. You see, the love of God is experience face to face, burden to burden. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. You carry each other's burden and you fulfill the law of Christ. Praise the Lord. Paul is praying for that, for this church. That's all he's about. Matter of fact, he is coming to the end of his life. He'll probably get out of this, uh, out of this cell, and, uh, but shortly after this, he's coming to the end of his life. Within two or three years, he's going to be martyred for the faith. But let's catch a glimpse. Paul doesn't know if he's ever getting out. But that's all that means anything to him, is the unity. with the, I can tell you right now, speaking for behalf of myself and Pastor John, that's all we're concerned about. So we just want to be faithful to the gospel, faithful to God's people, faithful to his word, faithful in proclaiming the gospel to everybody. That's all we want. Meeting as many needs as we possibly can. That to the end, that's all it is. So that's what Jesus modeled. Jesus, only an hour or two before he's betrayed, he's praying in John 17 that they would want. Love one another. And the world would know them by their love for one another. Otherwise, God will be glorified in their church when the world sees their love one for another. It's the same thing. John 17, what Paul's praying here is the same thing. John will say it one way. I'll say it another way. Paul says it this way. Jesus prayed it that way. Peter says it another way. Book of Hebrews says it another way. We're all saying the same thing now. This is what God's glorified in. When you understand that about the church, and you don't want to separate yourself from the local church, life begins to take on a different perspective. It has meaning to it. 
that as I go around doing my other jobs and I do other things and I'm in the community and I'm doing this, understand something. Because I want to glorify God, everything has value. Because it's all about people. I've been golfing with this gentleman for a while. After preparing this morning, I'm going to go hit some balls and uh, this gentleman is a Roman Catholic. He reads his Bible. And then he asks me and picks my brain for answers. And, he, and he's tuned into Joel Osteen and these other people. But, you know, as soon as people tell me that, I start praying for them. I'm not going to blast them out of the water. Because, as I told him, so today I got a chance to talk to him. Because we've been speaking about the book of Genesis for a long time. He's got some really good questions. I can see he's really trying to follow the best he can. But without a pastor to explain, like our friend in Times Square said, you don't need a pastor, don't need a church. You're going to roam around just with a lot of questions. The more you read the Bible, the more questions you have. Unless someone's explaining the word of God to us, you won't know it. But he's asked me. So I got a chance to tell him today. I said, you understand something. Joel Osteen and, and these other people he was mentioning, as I'm biting my lower lip, you know, but I want to walk in love and realize that God might be genuinely drawing this person. All right? He's reading his Bible. I said, understand something. Those TV evangelists, the ones you mentioned, they're good for uh, 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 an, an entry level into Christianity. Just an entry level. You know, sort of like, uh, how can you say? You know, just, just the first job you go to. You know, it's your first job. You've got to get your feet wet. You know what I mean? So I said, he's good for that. But if you really want to know who Christ is, you have to be in a Bible-believing doctrinal, theologically sound church. That's explaining to you every verse of scripture. One verse at a time, one paragraph at a time, one sermon at a time, one Bible study at a time. And as the years go by, you'll start to see the breadth and the height and the depth and the love of Christ. You'll start to experience it. And he heard me. So when I went online today and I ordered an ESV study Bible. And I'll hand it to him and I'll pray with him and so on. But I only say that because this, because today just went out to hit a couple of golf balls, but it turned to the glory of God. And Paul's on his knees over here and he's really trying to get this church to understand that I, I've laid out for you such a masterpiece of redemption in the first three chapters. As a matter of fact, in the third chapter, I believe it's the fourth verse, he says, by referring to these first three chapters, you will understand the great insight I have into the mystery of Christ. Because the first three chapters were meant to be referred to. But over here now, he's on his hands and knees. And he's praying before God. Because he knows only God can touch the inner man. As a pastor, I know I can only do so much. I can do the best I can to explain the mind of God. I can do the best I can with the ability God has given me to, to express and articulate deep doctrine the best I can. And I can tell you the will of God, what it is for us now. But at the end of the day, after I have sown, after another man has watered, only God can. The pastor's job, this is, this is very little. What we do here is very little. The rest of it's done on our knees. People don't realize that. A parent knows that. A Christian parent knows that. A Christian parent, a Christian grandfather or grandmother knows 
that you can raise up your child, but how many, how many hours are labored on knees praying for children? What we see going on today, the crazy culture, we see our friend in Times Square with his crazy sign, 10 by 8. All this energy being put in there to be divisive. It is our job to articulate and explain how God's glory is within the church and that we're all members of the church. But at the end of the day, most energy is spent with tears in our eyes on our face praying. There's not a soul in this church I don't spend quality time praying for. Nobody. Not a person that attends this church on a regular basis that's a member of this church that me and John do not pray for continuously. Do you want to separate? But I know people are praying for us. I would never want to be separated from your prayers. Ever. Ever. Paul teaches more than once. Pray for me. That words would be given to me. He prays it in this book, in the sixth chapter. Pray for me. That a wide door would be open and that God would give me utterance to proclaim the gospel the way I ought to. I need your prayers. I covet your prayers. I can't live without your prayers. And vice versa. We need one another. Let me share this. We usually preach expositionally. John preached expositionally. I usually preach expositionally. I have preached conceptually for the last several times to make a driving point of what means so much to us at this church. To be part of something that's much greater than ourselves. To be part of the glory of God. To be part of the world seeing a reflection of Christ in us through the way we minister to one another. The way we care for each other. And it breaks my heart when Christians don't enter into this sort of inner sanctum. I hate to even use that as though there's, there's them and those. You know, I don't like this. No class warfare in the church. We don't want that. God wants everybody in the inner sanctum. God's saying, everybody come close to me. The throne of grace is wide open. Come, everybody, come, all is. Love me and love one another. More can be said. This has been weighing heavy on my heart for a long time. To encourage this church that we are here for the glory of God. To care for one another, be concerned for each other, to meet each other's needs because God is only glorified in the work of redemption. That's why it says, let God be glorified in Christ. That's the work of redemption. And in the church, God's glory is found nowhere else. All, everything else is false. It's false religion. It's false philosophies. Sunsets are beautiful. I love to see what the scientists are uh, uh, discovering in the the universe. I love that. But God's glory is found in the face of Christ. Not in another universe found. Let's come together. Let's minister to one another. Let's get to know each other. Let's be compassionate to each other. Let's meet each other's needs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Let us never separate ourselves from one another, Father God. Let us never separate ourselves from the local church. Uh, from pastoral love and concern, Father God, I just pray that you do a greater work, and even in my own heart for your people, God. These are your people. 
precious in your sight of your people, Father God. This is your word, Father God. It is the only thing you've given us to nurture our souls. There is nothing else, Father God. You've given us nothing else. And, this, and your spirit comes alongside your church. Your spirit comes alongside your word and makes it real in our hearts, Father God. Paul was armed with nothing, Father, but his knees his mind filled with your understanding and a love for you and his people. That's it, God. That's all we have. Father, I just pray for such ministries. And I pray, Father God, that they truly would experience with all the saints what's the depth, what's the height, what's the breadth, and what is the width of the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. I'm fully aware, Father God, that you can do exceedingly more than I, Brian Martin, could even imagine when it comes to unity out of diversity. You are incredible, God. You are magnificent, Father. I know that you are summing up the whole universe in Christ Jesus, Father God. And I thank you, God, that you've given us here at Sonship a small role in your glory. In Jesus' name.